Welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. The Law in Sport podcast is really for anyone who has an interest in or better wants to understand the current legal issues and developments from the world of sport and also some of the personalities behind these developments. On today's show, I'm joined by Takuya Yamazaki, a partner and head of sport at the Japanese law firm Field R. In this interview, Takuya Yamazaki provides a fascinating insight into some of the key legal issues and cultural issues to be aware of in the lead-up to the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. He also importantly highlights some of the challenges and opportunities that these create. I personally thoroughly enjoyed the interview and I took a lot away from it and I hope you do the same. If you like the podcast, please give us a positive rating on iTunes, SoundCloud and share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc, etc, etc. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm delighted to have a, a good friend of mine and of Law in Sport here who's he's been a regular um, appearance on, on the Law in Sport podcast. And it's Takuyu Yamazaki, who many of you all know is one of the leading, if not the leading sports lawyer in Japan. He is the founder and managing partner of the law firm Field R, and he is the chairman of the Asia and Oceania division of FIFPRO. Tak, great to see you as always. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Um, you're, you I think along you and Jeff Benz, I think, have probably, uh, who's a CASA arbitrator, for those who aren't familiar, um, uh, probably got the two most people I know who are clocking up the most air miles, mm-hmm. I think. So, so <laughs> I think you're in the air more than you're uh, uh, on the ground because of the nature of your role. So I'm delighted that um, in the short time you're in London, as I always am, uh, that we had an opportunity to speak. Um, the, the reason why I, I wanted to get you back on the, the podcast again was, as many people would probably understand, given that you're so heavily uh, athlete and player focused, mm-hmm. um, you know, over the years we've been talking about sort of the moral and ethical uh, benefits um, that can come from sport, but also some of the issues that 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 are faced because of the commercialization. But also, uh, if not the commercialization, just the power plays that are uh, that are at hand. Right. Uh, and on the last podcast, you you described uh, some of the issues uh, very articulately um, about uh, player contracts right. in Japan. Yep. And that some of the progress that was being made. Mm-hmm. Um, but yesterday uh, we had a fantastic breakfast, <laughs> and as we had it, we went into quite a sort of long discussion around. Uh, the values of sport yep. and, and what the roles are of sports lawyers. And after the the reason why we're meeting up today, and for those that are listening, you wouldn't know, but this is a you know t- I've managed to pull Tack away on a on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon on his final day in London uh, to do this because I was so invigorated by uh, and um, stimulated by our discussion. Mm-hmm. And to sort of recap over it, or to just give a bit of an overview to this, obviously we've got the the, the Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo in, yep. in 2020, and you are in conversation with many of the committees. You are on one of the committees uh, for the Games. Uh, and obviously you are involved with the Japanese Sports Law Association and yep. the Japanese Bar Association. Yep. So, you, and being a leading sports lawyer, you have a lot of people's attention, <laughs> they say, right? Um, and I was complimenting you because when you were over with one of the delegations from the Japanese Bar Association, mm-hmm. um, I had the privilege of speaking to the delegation around sports law and, and what opportunities come from hosting Olympic Games, etc. And I said to you, I was surprised by uh, the questions that I received because they were very similar to ones I get from American lawyers, from European lawyers, from British lawyers. 
And then we came on to uh, one of the things we touched on was what the roles of lawyers are. And everyone, right. anyone who's listened to the podcast and had the unfortunate <laughs> um, uh, experience of listening to me actually recall about this at events on occasions, uh, particularly after the event, um, I believe that you know lawyers play an absolutely vital role to a well-functioning society. And mm-hmm. I, f- the heart of what we do as law and sport is that uh, we believe that everyone should be able to understand the rules and regulations that govern their behaviour. So... This is a very long introduction, but it's important <laughs> to put it into context. With the and the question I asked, or the or, or the question you posed, really, mm-hmm. or the message you're trying to get across to Japan, and I think this has a, has a wider ramification for the global sports or industry yep. with all the attention on, on the summer games. Is what do you see is the opportunity, the real opportunity for not only for for the Japanese professional service providers and the athletes and sports administrators, but also for the wider sports law community in the build-up to the um, Tokyo Games. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thank you for the uh, very good introduction. <laughs> and also, um, you know, I'd like to mention the um, uh, the fact that the, uh, it's a really good timing to talk about or think about the true body or core body of sport. You know, uh, in this context, I, I, I may have to say the commercial value of sport, but, uh, you know, so let me start with the, uh, you know, uh, the very fundamental question or the very pressing issue uh, as to uh, what is the true or core value of sports. So, you know, the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning this uh, is, is the fact that the, um, uh, there has been a movement, as you know, uh, business and human rights uh, on uh, sports in, in sports industry, so um, it's really kind of an exciting project uh, because it actually reflects uh, the uh, the you know one of the most important laws of sport. So um, so for those that aren't familiar with this, I'll, I'll put some links uh, below to some of the great stuff the World Players Association have done. Essentially, it's the um, as we've seen the, the sort of the, the human rights come to the forefront in the commercial and, and corporate world, right. and it being raised up as a, as something that you know in the supply chain in particular for, for various manufacturers and others uh, come to the attention. That's now seems to have developed a, a strong movement in the sports movement. Absolutely. So um, uh, it has to do with the implementation of the UN guiding principles. Uh, on uh, human rights uh, in the uh, sports business, but uh, I think uh, it uh, has uh, you know more uh, you know meaningful uh, you know I think it's it's really kind of a meaning uh, project, uh, especially in terms of the uh, role of sports or the uh, you know core value of sports, which you know all of those who are involved in the sports industry have to understand. So, um, so let me start with the um, example of the um, uh, what's uh, what's happening uh, regarding the uh, Tokyo 2020. So right now, um, uh, Tokyo Organizing Committee is setting up the some kind of uh, grievance mechanism, uh, which deals with the uh, human rights issues uh, in relation to the uh, Tokyo 2020. So you know, uh, uh, you may recall the in, in the London Olympic, there was a kind of a, you know similar kind of a grievance mechanism which de- dealt. Uh, with the uh, human rights issue. So, for example, you know, uh, if um, uh, one of the, um, uh, uh, you know, supply chains, so in the, in the supply chains of the London Olympic, for, for example, um, so the, the service provider or the um, uh, manufacturers uh, which provide 
uh, to organize a committee where the uh, the goods, you know, t-shirts or something like that. But uh, you know, if um, uh, they have a program in their factories or the, uh, you know, uh, in their supply chain, uh, you know, the um, uh, stakeholders like uh, you know, uh, employers, workers, NGOs uh, can uh, make a complaint uh, in front of the. Uh, uh, grievance mechanism. That is uh, what uh, London Organizing Committee did, and and also uh, you know over the last you know six years uh, this area has been has you know improved so much, has developed so much, and the, uh, it's you know absolutely has to do with uh, sports industry. So. You know, and it's what and it's wide reaching, right? I think that's the, that's the point. Something like the Olympic Games, it impacts. Yeah. I had the privilege of speaking to someone from Lo from the London Organising Committee yeah. last week, and they yeah. were saying, you know, it touches on all these different, you know, there's all these different organisations that traditionally don't have anything to do with sport or such a big level, like particularly local government. Yeah, and then they uh, a national to a degree, but the local governments in particular and the other businesses that get touched on it, it's it's, it's quite it can yeah. be quite. a if it's run in the right way, can yep. we have a quite a powerful positive Absolutely. impact? And also, it's really kind of a good uh, surprise, good surprise to me, because uh, you know over the last uh, twenty years, I've been uh, you know working really hard for the prayers, especially. Uh, so, but uh, you know the prayers right have been you know absolutely ignored by many of the uh, federations or the leagues or the clubs. So, but uh, right now uh, we can say that uh, based on the uh, you know the current regime or the uh, legislation or regulations, you know the all of the uh, federation or all of the people in sports industry uh, have the obligation or responsibility to respect the human rights, including the players' rights. So that's a really kind of exciting. Uh, timing, so um, so basically, uh, what the uh, Tokyo Organizing Committee is going to do uh, is to um, you know set up a, obviously set up the uh, grievance mechanism in which is in compliant with uh, UN guiding principles. But you know, uh, in 2012, um, there was kind of a no requirement. Uh, for the um, uh, London Organizing Committee to comply with those kind of UN guiding principles. So right now, uh, after eight years since uh, 2012, uh, you know, at the timing of Tokyo 2020, uh, this area has developed and the, um, many of the series or many of the principles have been made or developed. So of course, uh, the Tokyo Organizing Committee uh, have to understand the true our core value or core philosophy behind the UN guiding principles. So that is the, the, the first uh, problem. And the second problem is that uh, you know, there's, there has been no one in the sport, especially in the sports field, which established the grievance mechanism, which is incompliant with the UN guiding principles. So uh, obviously it's really hard you know, so Tokyo Organizing Committee is wondering, you know, what is, what we should do, mm. you know, or the, what is the right thing to do? So that is the, uh, the question they have. So, but, uh, um, so right now, uh, you know, the most important thing is that we have to understand the, the philosophy of the uh, UN guiding principles. Mm. And the, uh, uh, and also the, uh, the role of sports to realize the uh, kind of social good Mm. or the um, uh, core value over UN guiding principles. So, so one of the things that we touched on yesterday was that 
Um, we were having a, a discussion, and that's one I often have though with people about you know looking at where sport comes from because the the, the the discussion that we were, were having was you know what is sport, mm-hmm. right? What is Absolutely. sport, and and because people have different uh, you know some have more narrow definitions, some have wider definitions. You've got mm-hmm. the argument whether esports or sport at the moment with bridge or, and all these different things where taxes are involved. Um, but if you look at the sort of the heritage of of, of sport. You have the sort of American models, this is say the major league ones, the most successful models, mm-hmm. uh, some of the most successful models being the major league ones where often their motivation was a profit-driven motivation. But what's interesting with that is that they, they have strong uh, corporate social rule uh, responsibility programs, they say CSR programs, but they actually have initiatives because they realise that if they do, um, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they actually invest in it because they realise that by doing that it's actually... Um, has a positive impact on their revenues, yeah. right? So, so they come from, and they come from from that perspective. And then we've got the other side, which is more the you know the the football European, so they call it the European model. But um, yeah, this is called it the sort of the one that sort of evolved from these uh, regional based clubs um, that were set up for a whole bunch of different reasons. Some for for the, you know the higher society, yep. some for from the industrial revolution. Uh, to make their workers fitter, yeah. to say, right, and then things have developed from there. Yeah. And, and those where, they, in theory, they play off the um, the uh, social good that sport does, mm-hmm. the the value that it does. Whether it's, we talked about this, yes, you were flagging this to me yesterday. You know, sometimes it's underestimated the edu- on the educational side, mm-hmm. on the health side. By particularly, particularly, obviously, referring to Japan, in, in Japan, that these other, um, let's say, softer benefits that aren't picked up. Uh, just, people just enjoy sport, they love sport and they, and they think, oh this is amazing I'm just quite pleased to be involved in it but they don't realise the actual wider societal impact that it has that, um, uh, because of that you end up uh, what seems, can be seen quite strange where some of the more commercial people actually have better corporate social responsibility <laughs> yeah. than some of the people who are yeah, so-called Because they understand the uh, core, you know, core value of sports you know, in terms of commercialization or mm. in terms of sports business it absolutely makes sense mm. to do such kind of thing. You know, the, actually, um, uh, this kind of a CSR activities or CSR project uh, is r- absolutely beneficial to in terms of the uh, monetization or commercialization of sports. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a part of a sports business. So they understand. So, but, you know, um, uh, thank you for mentioning the, uh, the differences of the uh, European model and mm. the American model because uh, it's, it's really... Uh, kind of a meaningful uh, to mention this because uh, you know we are you know we as a uh, people working for sports industry always talking about uh, or American model is like this or the European model is like this but uh, you know uh, right now uh, we have to focus on the discussion uh, as to um, as I said what is uh, the core value of sports mm-hmm. you know uh, you know regardless of the uh, the differences of the business model. Uh, if we understand the core value of sports or core commercial value mm. of sports, uh, we can do the right thing. So mm. that is the uh, what. Because uh, uh, we can get to a point, though, and this is the thing where we entered this yesterday, where um, you know you can either change the structure of sport, you can make you focus it on more entertainment purpose. If, you, if that's what your if that's what your proposition is or, or what you believe the sport should be, then fair enough. But um, we were talking about the other influences in sport, and particularly. Um, yeah, the influence from from sports, in, in, in particularly in the UK, you know, uh, from sports betting, mm-hmm. right, and how that shapes right. uh, the products. But you could argue whether it was sports broadcasting mm-hmm. as well. And some people, no doubt, there's a point in time where they get it optimal, where they've adjusted the sports. So it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's great to watch. 
Um, it's great to consume, it's great to commercialise, but you can go too far mm-hmm. uh, in, in that direction, focus on uh, trying to uh, appeal to more people because they always want to see for growth, right? From a commercial perspective, you always have to see growth. You can't say, oh, we've got 100 million people playing this, isn't this amazing? Why don't we just do a better job for the 100 million, million people are playing it? No, you have to get to 200 million, you have to get to 300 million. You always have to sort of push them more. And at those points in time, I think as we've seen with FIFA and stuff like that, it then encourages a certain type of uh, aggressive yeah. commercial approach, which may uh, be in conflict with the, uh, let's say, the, would you define the, the value, the wider value of sport? Right. So, um, you know, looking at the uh, uh, what's happening here in the United States, so one of the good example is um, NBA cares. So NBA as a basketball league uh, has uh, made an announcement uh, that the, uh, they're going to be uh, they will root, commit to the uh, doing the social good, you know, especially in terms of uh, sports business. So they they get the sponsor for their activity, for their uh, you know activities for social good. So um, it's actually a commercial activity. So it's it's not uh, you know just a cost or the just a, you know promotion or branding. You know actually uh, they monetize the activity by doing a social good. Mm. And act, it actually uh, proves that uh, sports has uh, such a value mm. to um, you know, connect people who are doing something for society or you know, the, um, uh, make the community better or make the society better. So I think um, that is the, um, the, the more, I think the most important a tendency or trend we have to, which we mm. have to understand, we as a sports lawyer mm. or uh, people who are working for sports industry. And how are you tackling that, or what's your approach in in Japan? Um, so, for those people that aren't familiar with the the evolution of the sports market, obviously you can listen to the previous podcast that we'll put on there anyway, and, and some of the articles that that, that Tak and his colleague Nan have written for us. Um, so, so, if you're really interested in in, in, in our, our uh, absolutely encourage you to have a look at it because I do think it is is, is interesting uh, and valuable mm-hmm. um, to know this, uh, particularly given the, the number of international, you know, just, just generally in international sport. I think if you're really serious about working in this sector or if you're a, um, a genuine fan of sport, then you have to, uh, I think, where no matter where you're based in the world, have a bit of more of an open view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's absolutely beneficial. But can you give a... Um, uh, yeah, quick overview of, of what the sort of development of, of governing bodies, and particularly around the Olympic movement, and what the type of individuals are who are involved, and what their outlooks are at the yep, moment. Yep. Yeah, that's a really good good question. So, for example, you know, uh, FIFA has uh, made a human rights policy in 2016, and also IOC has committed to this project or this uh, philosophy. You know, uh, co- complying with the um, uh, UN guiding principles, and also, of course, the Tokyo Organizing Committee uh, has committed uh, to, you know, uh, be compliant with the UN guiding principles. But uh, they are, you know, I would say, relatively forced to do it. You know, they feel they are forced to do it. But uh, you know, if we understand the core value or the uh, the benefit of doing this in terms of the uh, sports business or the commercialization or the uh, monetization of sports, they will, you know, <clears throat> they will be more positive 
in doing this kind of a project. Mm. That is my point, and yeah, that is uh, what I want to emphasize. So um, understanding the true philosophy or the true value of sports is, you know, really important, especially in terms of mega sports. So how, how do you approach it, though, with people then? What's your strategy, mm-hmm. or what would you recommend being the strategy uh, with dealing with people who are seeing it? And I, I always liken the carbon footprint movement, I always say this, is I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a broken record on this point, but the carbon footprint movement did a really good job here when I was working for various international law firms on encouraging recycling because mm-hmm. it was good from PR perspective that they got carbon neutral yep. and they saved loads of money. So from their perspective, from a commercial point of view, they were like, wow, this is amazing, we're saving hundreds of thousands of pounds on uh, printer toners, turning the PCs off at night and recycling the paper that previously were just wasting. How, but how do you get people to, and I know there was a strong resistance there, um, uh, to, to, until they saw the bottom line. Uh, how do you, uh, which is not inevitably will be the same, right? Mm-hmm. But how, so how do you get them to, to, to be on board? Because yep. it would be a lost opportunity yep. if they were doing things begrudgingly because it, obviously inevitably it won't have the reach and impact that it could have. Uh, I'm always saying that the inclusivity is very, very important, uh, you know, philosophy. So, um, uh, you know, looking back uh, at the history uh, of a sports industry, so exclusivity is kind of a keyword or the core principle of this industry. But uh, we uh, now have to change our mind or change our mindset, uh, you know, uh, thinking that uh, inclusivity is getting more and more important than mm. sticking to exclusivity. Mm. So I think that's the keyword. So taking an example of uh, what happened very recently, uh, in relation to the uh, Pyeongchang Olympics. So um, Japanese Olympic Committee, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, they have to follow the rules of the uh, IOC. And, uh, and also uh, uh, they um, uh, have to be really strict in you know, uh, enforcing the uh, uh, rule against the mat- uh, uh, ambush marketing. So um, right now, what's happening in Japan is absolutely kind of, uh, you know, terrible or funny. <laughs> so, um, like, uh, you know, obviously many of the uh, Japanese amateur athletes uh, have been selected as a representative, Japanese representative of a national team. And um, so basically they belong to a company or a school, and the uh, school or companies, uh, you know, want to, you know, celebrate, uh, you know, their selection and the... Uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, they want to hold a kind of a send-off party or something like that. But, uh, you know, JOC started saying that, oh, it's going to be a violation of uh, uh, ambush marketing or Rule 40 or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, so then after that, many of the companies or, you know, schools started saying that, oh, Sorry, we can't do this. We have to cancel it. <laughs> Something like that. You're laughing, you're laughing, but it's awful, right? So, 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 so just, 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 just in case people haven't picked up on what was actually going on, this is athletes who have done their, their, their time, you know, they've waited four years to, or however long they've waited to get to the Olympic Games. They want to celebrate with their friends and family before they go off. Uh, and their colleagues, mm-hmm. and they're basically not allowed to. So I was joking around with Tack yesterday. Imagine, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, achieving something so amazing mm-hmm. um, in your, your athletic career, and then yeah. you're going, shh, don't tell anyone. 
Like, whatever you do, don't tell anyone. And the next thing you know, they see you on TV. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's a ridiculous... Yeah. I think that's, it's yeah, that's, a, that's a very, very uh, extreme yeah. application yeah. of that yeah. rule. Like, that's, that's not what it was intended yeah. for. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely... Uh, quite, yeah. yeah, I think that is, uh, you know, due to the misunderstanding mm. of the, uh, the true value of sport. Mm. So, of course, uh, you know, it is, you know, somewhat understandable that, uh, you know, JOC is, is saying like mm. this, you know, because uh, there is a rule and the, uh, they have to... You know, follow the rule of mm. IOC. You know, of course, of course, that is one thing. But on the other hand, you know, if they understand the true value of sports really correctly, uh, and the, especially in this 21st mm. century, the, that is difficult, right? And I think this is one of the things that I think people, what well, I experience, is pushback. Right? Mm -hmm. People go, "Oh, but it's not that easy." Well, guess what? Like that, life's not easy. That's not the reason not to do it, just mm -hmm. because it's difficult. I appreciate that people have, you know, particularly if their experience has not been a positive one of being more inclusive, you mm -hmm. know, in the sense of sometimes people try to do the right thing and uh, or try to do it and it hasn't been executed particularly well or it's been miscommunications, right. but it doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's really interesting. Yeah, but of course it is really understandable that mm. the, uh, you know, organizing committee is making such kind of uh, regulations because, uh, you know, uh, uh, it is understandable that uh, you know they are afraid of uh, you know uh, being brought uh, you know bunch of claims or the uh, you know minor claims or the uh, you know it could be unreasonable claims mm. or something like that. So of course, uh, and it is uh, in draft phase, so that's yeah. the whole point of having a draft, isn't it? So there could be it could yeah, be, yeah, yeah, of exactly course, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. still you know uh, yeah. it's uh, still uh, ongoing discussion. Uh, we have to understand the uh, importance of inclusive mm. in sports business, especially in this. Uh, Era. So, um, such kind of an exclusive model in sports business, you know, may have worked in 1980s or 1990s, uh, but uh, right now we are living in uh, in the 21st century. So many people want to share their experience on social media. So share is a keyword. So, um, but uh, you know, under the current rule, under the current uh, JOC rules, uh, you know. Uh, companies or people uh, cannot mention the Tokyo 2020 or something like that, you know, because it's violation. Of, uh, I, th I think that's I think that's a great way to phrase it, right? Is that now that we're in a world where you have to share, right? In, th mm -hmm. in theory, at least, right? Yeah, um, or at least where you get more benefit from sharing than you Absolutely. do for, from. I think that's a, a really really good point. And it's one of the things I we because we were talking about this and we're doing. For those that aren't familiar with, we just launched a mentoring, mentoring scheme. Um, we rejigged our editorial board to truly be inclusive worldwide. Um, and uh, the point of that was that in the, you know, when we've not, and we talked about this before, we, when you first got into the sector, when I first got into the sector, and I was much later than you, um, but there's still, because uh, of the way the, the commercial uh, legal world works, is that people can be shared to sometimes share information and, sh and share best practice mm -hmm. and encourage people. I'm absolutely delighted by the response we've had actually from the senior lawyers in the sector uh, who are coming on board as mentors. It shows you that times have really shifted in the sense that they recognise that also the value of bringing on the next generation and being more inclusive. Right. And I think that for the, for not only for sport, but for, for more selfishly, I guess, for the, for the sports lawyer community though, I think if that approach is taken, we'll see much more positive outcomes. And it may be that the, and, and, and this is one of the things that we were discussing yesterday, we haven't sort of touched on that, which was when people talk about legacy and they talk about impact, yep. it may be difficult to do these type of things in the short term because the return might not appear to be there. 
but in two or three years time or four or five years time yep. you will start to see the, 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 the benefits of that and at which point people will normally reflect on it and go actually what a great you know when I, when I look back at um, some of the good things that, that were done during the London games you know, yeah, it yeah. took a while and myself being one of the critics at, at various points quietly you know, quite a <laughs> critic though because you know, I think that's a, that's a terrible, terrible British thing everyone thinks everything's <laughs> going to go terribly wrong um, but you look back and go actually that was really good they did all these you know a variety of different things and um, yeah. you know, in hindsight it was worth a lot of the the effort and time that they put in to do it and yeah, we, you know, yeah. we didn't take it we took it for granted when it was actually happening yeah. people like me who were outside of it at the time yeah. so we have to have a longer vision in terms of mm. legacy you know what kind of legacy have to be left uh, after Tokyo 2020 so uh, you know uh, that is because that is why I want to emphasize that the um, uh, we have to change a mindset, mm. you know. Of course, uh, you know, uh, I've been working for this industry for in nearly 20 years, and the, uh, I understand the, the, you know, the benefit of the uh, exclusive business model. But, you know, right now, uh, you know, uh, the, the value of uh, sports is shifting to, you know, emphasizing or the, uh, disseminating the um, philosophy of inclusivity or diversity, or something like that. So, you know, we as a sports lawyers, you know, uh, can easily say that, oh, you cannot do this, or you cannot do that, or sorry, you can't do it, <laughs> or you can't <laughs> use this uh, this name or this uh, this word or something like that. You know, it's, it's you know, a kind of a lawyer's job. You know, you're a lawyer's nature. <laughs> but exactly, uh, yeah. but uh, you know. Uh, uh, we uh, have to be really, you know, we have to do the good thing for, for our industry. So uh, in terms of this, uh, all of the sports lawyers uh, uh, working now uh, have to understand uh, the core value of sports. And um, one final question. I always say this and then I end up asking you 10. So, but this, I mean, <laughs> at this time, this is the right final question. Um, if you're going to give any advice to because Olympic Games, I think sometimes it's slightly misplaced though, but uh, Olympic Games uh, makes the sports law community sort mm-hmm. of stand up and, t- and take note, uh, particularly the summer games, and think, oh, great, there's loads of opportunities there, and, and rightly so, particularly you know, on the domestic level. If you're going to give any advice to international sports lawyers who are going to either go to Japan, be in Japan, looking to do work with athletes going to Japan, is there any sort of insight or advice that you would give? that you can sort of say, you know, this would be, you know, I'd recommend you take this type of approach or <laughs> there's something that, or yeah. they should, there's something they should research in terms mm. of uh, regulations in advance of them going. I know, sorry, I haven't given you any prep on this. I've just, uh, <laughs> there's, there's something I just suddenly thought about. Well, uh, yeah, this is just a really great question. So um, Japanese sports industry is, of course, it's, it has been developing. And the, uh, you know, we, we have been, you know, following the, uh, U.S. or European countries, so that's for sure. But uh, you know, we are in Asia, so uh, which is different from European mm-hmm. you know, European countries or United States. So we have to do original thing. So um, and that is my passion, uh, you know, as a Asian sports lawyer. So what makes Asia different uh, is uh, you know culture or history, and um, so. Uh, when I was um, a member of working group uh, in terms of the sustainability of Tokyo 2020, I said that uh, we have a culture of inclusiveness. 
So we always, uh, you know, solve the dispute by, you know, really respectful discussions. That is our uh, culture, which we can proud of, we can be proud of. So uh, let's do it uh, in relation to Tokyo 2020. That's what, what I said. And uh, uh, I think we can, uh, we can do it. Uh, so, um, if um, you know European sports lawyers or U.S. sports lawyers are interested in doing something in Japan or uh, oh, athletes, yeah, yeah, or Africans, or, or yeah. from people from the Middle East, or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, you know I want them to understand the Japanese culture or Asian culture. So um, we um, we don't have uh, you know kind of arguing culture, you know, like a friendly discussion or the uh, respectful discussion is very, very important. So, of course, um, you know, uh, it's, um, uh, you know, it's um, really, it's been really kind of uh, difficult, uh, you know, based on this culture, it's been really difficult for the athletes to uh, say something against the management because of this culture. But, um, uh, this has its own benefit. Uh, this has uh, played a really important role uh, in Japanese society or Asian society. So um, based on this notion or this understanding, uh, I think what uh, European people or American people can do is, you know, uh, is, is um, I think it's, there are a lot of things uh, mm. which they can do uh, for Japanese people, you know, to influence the Japanese people. So, uh, you know, uh, if, um, you know, uh, U.S. Uh, lawyers or American, uh, you know, European lawyers understand our culture, and, uh, and also, on the other hand, uh, if uh, they understand the strengths of European culture or American culture, we can, you know, mix it, mm. up, mix it up. So uh, uh, then, uh, based on this, uh, we can make a really uh, good original uh, for example, dispute resolution mechanism or the new regulation or the uh, new regime or something like that. So uh, I think that, that is what I'm hoping, hoping for, uh, you know, in, at the occasion of Tokyo 2020. That's fantastic. <laughs> that really is. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I also think I should spend a fair bit of time out there because I'm probably a bit too argumentative at times uh, for my own good. So it'd probably be good for my um, diplomacy to to, to, to be great, to be uh, surrounded with a culture where people are a little bit more patient and and uh, listen more. Right. <laughs> but that's uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's I really I really, really like that answer for the reason that I have been guilty of it and probably repeatedly do this all the time. We've all got our own biases and stuff. And you just assume, and particularly in sports law literature and the dominance of, you know, because of the the, 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 the rapid pace of, uh, of growth of these dominant markets in sport, the narrative then is all very Western, yeah. very dominated. And, yeah. and I always think that we, uh, we are at risk of not being open-minded mm -hmm. and not when there is an opportunity to learn about uh, mm -hmm. how other people have done it and, and it doesn't mean just because we've got one way as we've seen actually if you look at how FIFA some of the issues they've had around governance IOC etc IWF have now you know, changed their governance structure it would be proved that we haven't got it right uh, you know we're getting better with our code for sport governance here but we, I think there's still a lot we could improve on so I hope that we do uh, refine these um, uh, approaches 
and that we, we, we go there and everyone does, you know, we're an open mind and look for these opportunities. I'm, I'm really, really excited now. That's, mm-hmm. You know, it's really, um, I think you're right. If, if people do reflect on what our own strengths are and then we yeah. can go there and, and learn, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Tack. It's always a pleasure. It's always enlightening. Um, every time we meet, I always feel reinvigorated in terms of, you know, you know I always think that, you know, yes, we can do something <laughs> really impactful <laughs> and positive. So, um, yeah, on a personal note, thank you very much. Thank you for giving us such a, um, I'm sure many of the people will, will agree. And please do uh, you know, comment on, on iTunes or on SoundCloud or on Laura and Sport if you uh, enjoyed, the, um, enjoyed the podcast, enjoyed what Tak had to say. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much and have a safe travels back. Thank you, Sean.